Well, it's great to be back at the Master's College. I uh, have so many memories stirred every time we enjoy music together here as Steve led us. I had so much of rich memories come back to me. I have to make a confession. I, I have two to make this morning. The first is I love the pastoral ministry. I've been in pastoral ministry for six years now, which is hard to believe that I've been gone that long, but there is hardly a month that goes by that I don't reflect back and wish for my days here with you. You see, the days of fellowship, the days of freedom, the days of enthusiasm, the days of excitement, I miss the college. And I want you to know that this is a unique time in your life. Don't miss it. Don't take it for granted. You'll remember it richly. Capitalize on all of it. Secondly, I have to confess, my wife has accused me periodically through our 12 years of marriage of being a snorer, of snoring so loud that the room shakes. I have adamantly dismissed this accusation. I have no proof. I've never heard myself snore. And therefore, I have not bought into this concern of hers and have asked her for some empirical proof. Well, last night, I have to confess, three times the room shook. And I have to confess to you that I need to go home and humbly embrace this reality that perhaps my snoring is of great concern. Would you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3? I know it's been rough for you. I saw a uh, Newsweek cartoon this week. A young college student and an older man in a bus station. The older man says to the college student, So, you want a life of risk, danger, and excitement. You want to live on the edge. You want to stare death in the eye. So you must be joining the Marines. The college student looks back and said, no, sir, I'm moving to Los Angeles. <laughs> I know it's been rough for you. I watched on the news as I saw the 14 where we used to, the 14 and the 5 there where they connect and I couldn't help but remembering all the days I traveled that portion of highway and uh, I know it's been hard and challenging. And our hearts have been with you as you have recovered from that reality. I want us to focus on another reality this morning. I want us to focus on the reality of consequences. You see, as I observe our culture today, as we look across the cultural landscape of justice, I'm afraid we can be tempted into believing that consequences will not come. I think of John Wayne Bobbitt and Lorena Bobbitt and the admitted activity and the dismemberment and everybody knows what happened. The jury deliberates for less than eight hours. They come back. The foreman stands up and says, not guilty of malicious wounding by reason of insanity. Consequences, most likely 45 days of observation after which Lorena will go free. I think of Eric and Lyle Menendez. Admitted murderers of their parents here in Beverly Hills. The world has been watching two hung juries, consequences not realized as of yet. I think of Tanya Harding, who will skate tonight in Lillehammer. The USOC, the United States Olympic Committee, has said that they believe, after her testimony before the FBI in which she lied, 
at which she admitted that she had some knowledge immediately thereafter the attack on Nancy Kerrigan, even though they said that behavior is unbecoming to an Olympian, she will skate tonight, leveraged perhaps by the $20 million lawsuit, but consequences not yet realized. I think of Michael Jackson and the plethora of witnesses and testimonies with regard to his choices. And I think of the money that was utilized, his great resources, in order to avoid consequences. And the truth in a lot of those cases is yet to be known. But I am concerned today about the eroding reality of consequences. I mean, I'm remembering Reginald Denny on a street somewhere here in South Central Los Angeles, and in graphic detail we watch rioters beat him and yet we watch the net decision with regard to that and we say, consequences? Are there any? Virginia Rostell, the editor of Reason Magazine, says, our courts are full of excuses and empty on consequences. And I think that affects us. I think when, when we face those realities day after day, and if we look at our own life, we make choices, don't we? And, and, and those choices don't immediately result in consequences. You know, there's things you're doing. You haven't been caught yet. There's things that you have done and nothing ever happened. And you're lured into a belief that consequences will not come. I want to talk about consequences this morning. I want to give you five laws of consequences. 2 Peter chapter 3 addresses a group of people who are tempted into believing that consequences will not come. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 3, Know this, says the Apostle Peter, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, lustful choices, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? You see, the coming, the second advent of Jesus Christ, represents two big things. The first thing it represents is reward for the righteous. The second thing the second advent of Christ represents is judgment for the wicked. Consequences. They say, where is the promise of His coming? Verse 4, for ever since the fathers, Israelite patriarchs, ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. In other words, they say, ha, huh, there aren't any consequences. You've been saying all along that God will come, God will reward, God will judge. When is this happening? They've been saying it for years. They've been saying there's consequences, God will come, God will judge. When? Verse 5, something escapes their notice. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. What they don't realize is that the word of God has power. The word of God effected creation. Verse 6, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. The word of God, when spoken, creates. The word of God, verse 6, when spoken, destroys. Verse 7, the present heavens and earth by His Word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction 
of ungodly men. What these mockers don't understand is this reality. God's Word will be fulfilled. When God said, let there be light, and when He spoke and all things were created, the power of the spoken Word of God was manifested. It was fulfilled. When God judged and said, let it rain for 40 days, God's Word was fulfilled. When God says, I will reserve the heavens and the earth for cataclysmic judgment, it will be fulfilled. What these folks don't understand is, God's Word will come true. Law number one on consequences. They will come. It's a guarantee. I hear the words of Galatians chapter 6 and the Apostle Paul, be not deceived. Obviously, some of us are. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Do you realize that God would be mocked if consequences did not come? That if somehow you were the exception or somehow I were the exception, God would be mocked. In no way will that occur. Law number one, consequences will happen. Don't let your reality, don't let our culture, don't let the court system, don't let our justice system or your experience cause you to buy into the thought, I can get away with it. You see, the issue with consequences, 2 Peter chapter 3, is an issue of timing. Notice what it says. Verse 8, But do not let this one fact escape your notice. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. You see, with God, the issue on consequences is timing. I don't know if you're like I am, but it would help me in my Christian experience, I think if there were immediate consequences to my poor choices. You see, it would keep me in boundaries. Last year, I bought my wife the desire of her dreams. I bought her a Morgan horse. And she's always wanted horses. And last year, we bought a Morgan colt, eight months old. And I put up about a thousand feet of fencing. And, I, and she was anti-barbed wire because of the damage it can do to the horse if he gets into it and the destruction that can occur. And so I bought this unique high-tech fencing. It's, it's used by ships at sea when they anchor. It's the mooring line material. And it's, it's, it, you can't break it, but it stretches. So if the horse gets into it, it'll stretch without damaging the horse, but it'll keep him contained. And if limbs fall on it, it doesn't tear up like wooden fences, and it doesn't damage the animal. So I put up this kind of high-tech fence for her. Actually, for her horse. Can you strike that from the tape? So, not long after we put him in his new domain... It wasn't too long till he had eaten all the grass in the pasture and decided that the grass outside of the pasture was more to his liking. And it was not uncommon to come home and see him with his neck way out, chewing on the grass on the other side. And then I got to seeing him. He had one foot out. So I tightened it up. You can do that. I came home one day and I found my horse in my front yard, grazing. 
Now, I live in the country, and that's not a major problem. But the fact, and, and I didn't have to cut the grass so often if I allowed him to do that. So it wasn't all that bad. But one morning we got up, and he was gone. Now, for me, that represents a sizable investment. For her, it represents an emotional attachment. And, and we had to find our horse. We spent an hour and a half combing the wooded area around our home finding this horse and made a decision. You've got to fix this fence. So I put up one cord of metal electric fence. You should have seen our horse encounter that fence for the first time. I plugged that baby in, I got the video camera, and I watched. <laughs> He walks over, he sticks his head through, he got his head through, and it caught him right here on the neck. And he just exploded. And he backed out of there, he reared up, he kicked, he bucked, and he ran for ten minutes. He was lathered up totally. I love it, I got it all on film. Let me tell you something about my horse. He hasn't gone near that fence since. Do you know I can unplug that fence? He can go hours and days. He won't go near it. You know what he learned? Consequences. You see, if there's consequences, boundaries that have immediate results, stick my head over there, boom. I don't like those consequences, therefore I'll not make that choice. I think that would help me. But unfortunately, or perhaps for my benefit, I should say, God in His economy is very patient with us because consequences don't work like that for us. Very rarely do we immediately experience the consequence of our choices. Reason number one, timing and patience. God wants to give us a chance to make a good choice. Notice verse 9. God is not slack or slow concerning His promise, as some men count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Rule number one, consequences will come. The issue of consequences has to do with timing and God's purpose to give you and to give me a chance to resolve our relationship with Him before we encounter mammoth consequences. Law number two, Deuteronomy chapter one. Rule number two, or law number two, and we're going back to Deuteronomy. We can define or document these rules or these laws throughout the pages of Scripture. I'm, we're going to look at Deuteronomy to pick up these next four. Deuteronomy is a powerful book of perpetual principles. Moses stands on the threshold of the land of promise. He looks into the face of young Israelites, the next generation, and says, let's talk about the law. The word Deuteronomos is second law. It's really not the second giving of the law. It's the second major explanation about the laws of God. 
Laws involving blessing. Laws involving curses. Laws involving consequences. Laws involving choices. Moses says, in the words of the rabbinic tradition, heavyweight words. Hadaharim is the Hebrew name for this book, and it means the words of weight. And here's an older patriarch father, Moses, looking at the face of young people and saying, hey, let me tell you what we learned about the laws of God. Remember how it works? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says to the church about Israel as he rehearses their activity, he says, let me tell you, these were examples for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 6, they were for your instruction. Look back at Israel and learn something. Moses says, look back at the old generation and learn something. And one of the things he addresses, I think, is consequences. And one of the principles of consequences, the second law of consequences, Moses identifies here as he rehearses history, is there is a line you can cross over and you may not know when. Law number two, with regard to consequences, there is a line you can cross over and you may not know when. Chapter one. Deuteronomy. Moses picks up the historical background of the people of Israel and reminds them, verse 21, as he speaks to them, he refers back to a time when the Israelites were on the threshold of the land. Verse 21, See, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of our fathers, has spoken to you. Do not be afraid or be dismayed. Then all of you approached me, said Moses, and said, let's send men before us that they may search out the land for us and bring back to us a word of the way by which we should go up in the cities which we, we shall enter. Verse 23, and the thing pleased me, and I took twelve of your men, one man from each tribe. Now you know this story. If you studied the Bible at all, you know what happened. They get up to the edge of the land. They've traveled through the desert, having been delivered from the exodus crossed the Red Sea, met with God at Sinai, and now they've come to the land of promise. The people say, let's send in spies. Let's have them check it out. Let's see the best way to go. And the spies come back. There were twelve, one from each tribe. And two of the spies says, wow, what a land. What a good thing God is about to do. Ten of them said, wow, you ought to see the giants. You can't believe the cities. They're fortified and strong. Maybe a good land, but we can't overcome these enemies. The Bible says the heart of the people melted in fear. Now watch what happens when all of those people decide they're going to buy into the report of the ten spies who said, no way can we go. Verse 34 then the Lord heard the sound of your words, Moses rehearsing history, and the Lord was angry and took an oath, saying, not one, verse 35, this is the crucial verse, not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to your fathers. We're talking a major consequence. I've been living in a tent, been traveling in the wilderness, I've been eating manna. 
I'm tired. I'm tired of walking. I can't wait to get to this land of promise. And now because of a choice to believe the bad report as opposed to the good report, to choose to believe that God couldn't take care of me as opposed to the promises of God, God said, He took an oath, you aren't going in. Now that is a mammoth consequence. But I want you to notice something. Turn to Numbers 14 where this actually occurred. Deuteronomy 1 is rehearsing, but Numbers 14 is the actual event. And notice what God says. Numbers 14. Same scenario. Spies have reported. The people have bought into the bad report. Verse 22, God says in response to their choice, Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, ye have put me to the test. Now notice the last part of this verse. These ten times and have not listened to my voice. These men shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. I want you to note this. This business of saying, God, we're not going to do what You ask us to do. We're not going to trust You. Your choice, this choice of trusting the bad report. you know which one this was? This was the tenth time they tested God. This wasn't the first time. There were nine other times these people of Israel complained, grumbled, and said, God, You have done us wrong. You've brought us into the wilderness to kill us. You've brought us into the wilderness to starve us. You've brought us into the wilderness to cause us to die for lack of water. You've brought us into the wilderness to leave us. It was better. Nine other times they said it would have been better. Do you know what? This tenth time, they crossed the line. This tenth time, God said, consequences, mammoth. You won't go in. I'd like you to know this today with regard to consequences. There's a line you can cross over. You may not know when. December, a young lady in our church, freshman at the University of Alabama, graduate of our Christian school, she got in trouble her senior year. She got off the path. She partied. She drank. She got in trouble. And then she repented. Then she partied and she drank, got in trouble, then tried to get her life together again, and she went in a cycle of that. The last I had seen her and talked to her, she was making good progress. Early December, at a fraternity party at the University of Alabama, she was on a balcony on the third floor, and she'd been drinking. The railing on the balcony gave way. Kelly fell three floors to the concrete below. Kelly was 18 years old, just about to turn 19. Kelly died two days later. I thought about her. I thought about all of the times she made choices. And yet somewhere along the line, she crossed a line. And she didn't know when. 
back when I was in college, I was a basketball fanatic. The 76ers, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and the 76ers were my team. And they were pathetic draft choosers. And this particular year, they had the first pick in the draft, and they traded it away to Cleveland, and they got a no-name guy, and they traded Moses Malone to the Washington Bullets, and they made pitiful choices. But the number two pick in the draft was the Boston Celtics, and they made a great choice. They picked a man by the name of Len Bias. Len was the ACC Player of the Year from the University of Maryland. He led the Atlantic Coast Conference in scoring, which is one of the most powerful basketball conferences in our country. Len Bias was the first choice. Len Bias was going to go with two guys by the name of McHale and Bird, and he was going to set Boston up for a continuing dynasty. The night Len Bias was drafted number two, they say, for the first time, he experimented with a drug called crack. That night, sometime in the early morning hours, Len Bias died of a cardiac arrest. Not his tenth time. Not her multiple time. His first time. May I suggest there's a law about consequences? There's a line you can cross over. And you may not know when. Law number three. Would you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 40? God says to the Israelites, But as for you, turn around and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. Then you answered and said to me, We have sinned against the Lord. In other words, God said, You've got to go back. They say, Whoa, bad choice. We don't want to go back. We'll change our mind, God. We see the light. Watch what it says, verse 41. You answered and said to me, We have sinned against the Lord. We will indeed go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every man of you girded on his weapons of war and regarded it as easy to go up to the hill country. Verse 42, And the Lord said to me, Say to them, Do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. Verse 43, So I spoke to you, but you would not listen. Instead, you rebelled against the command of the Lord, and you acted presumptuously and went up into the hill country. And the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and crushed you from Zaire to Harma. Now notice verse 45, Then you returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord did not listen to your voice, nor give ear to you. Law number three. Sometimes, with regard to consequences, too little is too late. Here's what they said. Oh God, we realize we've made a bad choice. And they repented. And they turned around and said, we'll go fight. With regard to consequences, sometimes they're irreversible. Sometimes in the economy of God, when you cross that line, you can't go back. In our society, most of our consequences are buffered. Somebody can buy my way out. You know, when I was the dean of men here, it was not uncommon for some bad choices to be made and some, some folks to find their way to my office. And honestly, I've seen some of the best crying in my life occur in that office. And you know what? I didn't always know whether it was sincere or not. 
only time would tell. But very often the case was individuals would try to reverse the consequences of their choices. And in our society, it's not uncommon for us to be able to avoid consequences. Sometimes your parents bail you out to your detriment. When I was a student at Brown University, that's where I did my undergraduate work. It's a unique institution. There were no general requirements. You picked 28 courses, you graduated. Pick any 28 you want. You got the degree, you had to deal with it and live with it. It's your choice. But they had a way of helping you with your grades. You could sign up for a course, and it was called ABC No Credit. And what that meant is you could get an A, a B, or a C, or if you got less than a C, you got no credit, and nobody ever knew you took the course. So that would help you get into medical school or law school because if you got less than a C, it wouldn't ruin your GPA because it would just disappear. And then you had until your midterm, after you took your midterm, you could decide, do I want to take this course ABC or no credit? If I fail the midterm, I pick no credit. Or if I do really well, then I take ABC. And I remember how that was an attempt to alleviate consequences. I didn't have to pay. I could work it out. I could still go to medical school and fail courses. I could still work it out. That's the way it is with us sometimes. We want to work it out. We want to cut a deal. We want to change our mind. We want to buy our way out. We want to fix it. We want to excuse it. We want to cry about it. And I want you to understand about consequences. Sometimes too little is too late. One time. One adulterous relationship. She's pregnant. What's he going to do? There's nothing he can do. It's too late. The man I served in the mission field with last year. I spent an entire week with him in Central America. Right after I was here for the Bible conference, I went to El Salvador. A prominent communicator of the Word of God. One choice, one night, one baby. You know, it's like that sometimes. Sometimes things happen that are irreversible. Don't be deceived with regard to consequences. Fourthly, chapter 1, verse 37. Moses says, as he hears from God, that not one of them would enter into the land of promise. Now notice verse 37. The Lord was angry with me also on your account, saying, not even you shall enter there. Chapter 3. Verse 23, Moses talking, replaying the tape of an exchange with God. Moses says, verse 23, chapter 3, I also pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, Thou hast begun to show Thy servant Thy greatness and Thy strong hand, for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such things and mighty acts as Thine? Verse 25, Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan that good hill country in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough. Speak to me no more on this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes to the west, the north, the south, and the east and see it with your eyes. For you shall not cross over this Jordan. 
Principle number four, with regard to consequences, there's a law. It doesn't matter who you are. Do you realize what's happening here? Moses, God's choice, the deliverer, the one who spoke to God on the mountain, the one who received the law, the one who who saw God, His backward parts, the one who beheld His glory. If you look at Numbers chapter 6 or Numbers chapter 12, God says, I talked to all the other prophets in a dream, but not with Moses. I don't speak to him in riddles. I speak to him face to face. He sees my form. We're talking Moses. We're talking God's main man. We're talking an individual who's a prophet, deliverer, pleasure to God. You know what God says to him? Not even you, Moses, are going to go. Do you know what I think about consequences? Very often we think it could happen to somebody else, but not to me. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you know. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. With God, consequences are impartial. Ask Richard Nixon. Ask Pete Rose. Greatest hitter of all time. He's got some consequences. Ask Mike Tyson. Heavyweight champion of the world. Doesn't matter who you are. Ask David. Ask Samson. Ask Moses. You know what they'll tell you about consequences? Doesn't matter who you are. Fifthly and finally, would you turn to Numbers chapter 14 one more time? The young lady in our church who works as an administrative assistant in a large firm in Birmingham. Her boss is the chief executive officer for this big firm. He's always above the rest. She says he lives as if he can do anything he wants. He doesn't have to pay the things other people have to pay. He doesn't have to endure other things other people endure. She says he just lives like he's immune. He's above it all. Four weeks ago in Lexington, Kentucky, he was with his secretary parked in a parking lot. Her husband shot the woman and then shot him in the neck. She died. He's paralyzed from his waist down. He said to her, this gal in my church, I never thought it could happen to me. Well, it's true. Consequences. It doesn't matter if you're CEO. It doesn't matter who you are with regard to consequences. God is impartial. Fifthly and finally, Numbers 14, verse 33. Well, let's start in verse 30. God talking, Surely you shall not come into the land which I swore to settle you in, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Those were the two good spies, the two that bared a good report. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in, and they shall know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses shall fall in the wilderness. Now I want you to notice verse 33. And your sons shall be shepherds for forty years in the wilderness. Now underline this phrase. And they shall suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. Principle number five with regard to consequences, there is a ripple effect. 
you are not the only one who endures the consequence. Very rarely are you the only person touched by your choices. What you need to know with regard to consequences, the older generation made the choices. The younger generation would ultimately enjoy the land of promise. But for 40 years, they lived as shepherds suffering for their parents' choices. Fifth law of consequences is, there is a ripple effect. You affect others. You can't go down. You can't make choices. You can't make foolish decisions and not affect other people. I played college football. One of the drills I hated was something we called grass drills. You'd get down on all fours and you would run 50 yards on your hands and on your feet like an animal. And it was to build endurance. And the coaches would holler on the sideline to get more performance, more energy, more output. And if a player on the team, just one, was dogging it during that exercise, you know what happened? The whole team ran again. And if another player dogged it, you know what we did? We all ran again. I hated those drills. I didn't understand why I had to run again if Bob here didn't run. They were trying to teach us something. My behavior affects others. That's why in the military you have so many times that are treated like that. One of the guys is out of step. Gomer's out of step. The whole platoon has to do push-ups. Because what they understand is, if I don't fulfill my mission and do my part, the hill that I'm supposed to take or the goal I'm supposed to realize, I jeopardize everybody. Please hear me. With regard to consequences, when you make choices, you affect other people. I was a high school senior. My best friend, we used to camp about twice a month. Loved to camp out. We hung out together. We had a great time. We were buddies. We were athletes. We ran together. We had fun together. We went to church together. His parents and my parents were best friends. When we went someplace after church, it was to their house. But, but Don made choices in his high school years, and he went on a path that was the party path. And he got in some serious trouble and he made some bad choices. But during my first years of college, he started to come back. He started to come to church and he and I went to the International Youth Conference in Urbana, Illinois, my freshman year. And and he was touched by some of the speakers and some of the, the, the songs that were sung. And he told me on the way back from Urbana, he said, Harry, you know what? I think I need to make a choice for God. I think I need to stop running, stop rebelling and submit. I said, I really think you, you, you ought to do that, Don, and I'd like to do it with you. And anytime you want to, let's, let's deal with God together. He said, okay. He called me three days after we got home and said, would you come on over tonight? I'd like to pray. Well, I was excited. And I drove into Pittman, which was about 10 miles from my home. And in that 10 miles, when I got to Don's home, Don met me on the street, and he was mad. He was really mad. He was outraged. He had tears coming down his face. He was swearing. He was uncomfortable, and he was angry. And I didn't understand. 
And after he got calmed down, he sat in my car and he said, you know what I just found out? My father, who was the superintendent of our Sunday school, my dad's best friend, my father, said Don, is involved with my mother's best friend. He said, if that's the way God is, bad conclusion, but that's the one he drew. And if that's the way Christians act, I don't want any part of it. I'm 35 years old. That happened 17 years ago. Don's been busted for selling drugs. He's a mechanic in southern New Jersey. He has a drinking problem. He's been divorced twice. I talked to him three months ago. He called me out of the blue. Still doesn't know God. Still doesn't care about God. And still is embittered by the choice his father made. Now, I recognize that we can't use other people as a barrier for our own responsibility. But I want you to hear me this morning. That man's choice has affected his son to this day. Whose life will you affect? I don't know, but you will. Last passage, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. I sat with a mother and dad Thursday evening my office. Their 23-year-old son graduate of Auburn University, student in business and marketing, got involved with the wrong crowd, was a manager in training with Hardee's Corporation, was abducted by one of the wild men in his crowd, robbed, and with another employee of Hardee's taken to a remote lake in southern Alabama and shotgunned in the back of the head. His mom and dad sit in my office and say, we can't hardly make it because of the loss of our son. And we all know why he got involved with that crowd and we all know what it costs us. Harry, how do we cope? They're dying. His sister's on medication trying to survive because of the gruesome result of choices made, relationships entered into, and catastrophic results. There's a ripple effect. It affects everyone around you. Verse 15, 2 Peter chapter 3. God is patient. Now notice what Peter says, verse 15. Regard the patience of our Lord to be what? To be salvation. With regard to consequences, they don't always come right away. They will come. doesn't matter who you are. There'll be a line you'll cross over. I don't know when. The results may be irreversible. And it'll affect others around you. But God gives you time. He's patient. 
Don't let His patience go to waste. Use His patience as an opportunity for your salvation. I want to ask you to make a choice today. I know some of you are making bad choices. I know some of you have not realized consequences yet for those choices. I want you, on the authority of God's Word, to allow the patience of God that hasn't brought those consequences to bear yet to use that patience as a chance to resolve your relationship with God. Would you bow your head with me, please? The wonderful thing about Christianity, the thing I love most of all, is it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, God will forgive. God will cleanse. All consequences are not eradicated when you get right with God. But many consequences are eradicated and you escape some of those choices. I want to give you a chance. Whoever you are, wherever you are in this auditorium this morning, I want you to consider your your choices will bring consequences. Would you commit yourself to God to deal with the issues, the choices you've been making? Will you determine in your heart, God, I need to change. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess, we say it so, we agree with God. He will forgive us and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you deal with God about some choices you've made? Father, I thank You this morning for this moment, this gift of time in which we can decide about choices we've made. Lord, we are challenged by the reality that what we sow, we will reap. And I pray for these young people, even as I pray for myself, that we'll make good choices today. That we'll resolve with You choices that displease You. That we'll confess them, turn from them, and commit ourselves to walk in a new path. I pray, Father, that today we'll resolve issues that are crucial to our life. Thank You for the laws of consequences, but we need Your help to apply it, for we are so easily deceived. We thank You, Lord, for Your love and Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen.